0: But this morning we move on to Acts chapter 4 and uh, we continue our journey in the first three chapters. We see that it's going rather well with the early church. I mean, we see lots and lots of people responding, deciding to become followers of Christ. We see the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost. We see, uh, as Ken shared last week, miraculous healing taking place. I mean, this reads like it. A field of dreams for any church planter. Imagine you plant a church from scratch and those things happen in the, right from the start. Absolutely incredible. But then we get to chapter 4 and uh, and things change a little bit. Uh, we see that Peter and John following the, mirac- the miracle that they performed, healing the lame beggar. We see that they are arrested. They are put in jail. Uh, Peter, little timid Peter, who not too long before denied Jesus three times, now stands up full of the Holy Spirit and preaches the gospel to the same religious leaders who interrogated Jesus. I just love that. He gives it to them straight. But yet somehow they don't get it. And even though they are released out of jail, they are told, I'm paraphrasing, to stop their nonsense, to stop preaching the gospel, to stop talking to people. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And we're going to work with about 12 or so verses, if my math serves me well. So it's Acts chapter, 3, uh, it's a chapter 4, and we are in verse 23. I hope you're there. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, the church, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28 They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and, and, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And we're going to stop there. Verse 35. This is God's word to us this morning. And so, I want to, um, in many ways, if I think about the book of Acts is kind of a perfect view into the life of a Christian, isn't it? I mean, if somebody had to stop me in the street and say, Christo, what is this Christianity story all about? What does the life of a true follower of Christ look like? I would say to them, go and study the book of Acts, and you will get a pretty good idea. And so I want to attempt to do that this morning from these 12 verses with the help of just some brilliant commentary by Tim Keller, I want to ask the question this morning, what does is, what, what is the life of a true follower of Christ look like? Perhaps a better word to use is, what are some of the marks of a, of a true Christian? And I, I want to draw from this text, I want to draw a few of those out. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, this is not in any way to negate your salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. I'm so grateful that my salvation does not rest on my performance because that would have been a disaster. No, no. This is just for you, which is a very good thing, by the way, for us as followers of Christ to do from time to time is something to a grid to put your life through. And just to see in some areas, God, have I perhaps lost a little bit of my passion? Have I gone a bit cold in some areas? Has my heart perhaps gone a little bit hard? That's what I'm aiming to do for you this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, just to look at it from that perspective. Of course, if you are not a follower of Christ, as as Piet said, we keep saying this, and we will keep saying this. You're so welcome here. Thank you for journeying with us. And I hope that this morning will give you a view into what the life of a Christian looks like. Because so often I speak to people and they say to me, yeah, a Christian is somebody who goes to church, Maybe they pray a little, nice people, they're nice to people. That's a very small part of the story. I'm hoping to give you a little bit more flesh this morning, so that you too can begin this journey um, to, to see what the life of a real follower looks like. So, so that's what we're about this morning. Four marks of a true follower of Christ. Number one, a true follower of Christ is someone who serves God consistently, especially in suffering. We see in this text that even though it was going very well with the early church, for the first time there are some danger signs. There's some opposition. There may even be persecution. For the first time, these people who, are, who have planted this church begin to realize that this could cost me. This is not a walk in the park anymore. This could cost, even cost me my life. And so they face suffering for the first time. And my friends, in suffering, we will very quickly find out whether we serve God for who He is and worship Him and proclaim Him and love Him and adore Him, or whether we serve God to see what we can get from Him. Whether we come to Jesus because we want to serve and love Him or whether we want Jesus to serve us and our agenda. I speak to some people and they say, yeah, Christo, I tried this Christianity thing. It didn't really work for me. It didn't really give me the results I was looking for. It didn't really work for me. You see, that's what happens when you enter a relationship with Jesus based purely on what you can get from Him. Uh, will He meet your needs, you may ask. I remember as a, a brand new follower of Christ, Elise, my wife, amazingly 10 years into our marriage invite me to a church meeting pretty much like today i mean i knew nothing i was afraid i was scared i was ashamed i was everything that a rebel of note could have been and uh, i started journeying with some people and i went to a small group as an unbeliever for a while and eventually the gospel just broke my heart and i decided to follow jesus but i had a paper thin theology at this stage it was still being formed And so I was thinking, man, God, now I'm on your side. Surely things are going to go great now, God. And about six or seven months into that journey, I had a a moment with God when I'm saying, well, this is not going so well. In that period, Elise and I lost the business. We lost everything that we accumulated up to that age. I was 35. Elise was a little bit older. Our eldest daughter in hospital was critically ill on numerous times in that period. We thought, that's it. We've lost her. God, this is not going great. And in that moment, pivotal night of my life, God speaks to me. And he says, Christo, are are you in this for what you can get out? Are you in this for me? What will it take for you to trust me? And my whole life changed. Note my life, not my circumstances. That took a whole lot longer. But from that day on, it was no longer about me and my plans and God just needing to bless it. And so we see here a very different attitude from John and Peter and the early followers. It is not about them. I just love the way they pray. I mean, do you notice what they ask for? Did you notice it from the passage? If it was me... I would say, God, won't you save me from these wicked people? I would pray for vengeance. I say, God, take them out. I would say, God, won't you won't you bring protection over my life? Won't you change my circumstances? That is what I would ask for if I face persecution, possible death. What do they ask for? What do they ask for? God give us boldness, give us courage so that we can continue to change people's lives. That's what they ask for. It's nothing to do with them. Of course, there's nothing wrong with asking God to meet your needs. Jesus teaches us to pray that way. Remember, God give us today our daily bread. But it's not the main thing if you are a true believer. And, and, and I want us to delve a little bit deeper into this prayer because I think there's so much we can learn from it for our daily walk with God. And the first thing I want you to notice, verse 24, is who they pray to. Sovereign Lord, sovereign God. And then this passage unpacks so beautifully two attributes of this God that they call out to. And the first one is that He is the Creator. They're not praying to any silly little God. They're calling out to the sovereign God, the Creator of the universe. Before God, there was nothing. And He's in complete control over everything that He created from heaven's perspective. Everything is is going according to plan. God is overseeing everything. He's in complete control. And our perception may be that that control waxes and wanes over time. But that's not the reality, folks. The truth is that God is large and in charge and that He reigns supreme and He's strong and exhaustive. There's not a drug deal that goes down without His knowledge, not a political scandal, not an injustice. He knows it all. He reigns supreme. And not only does He reign supreme at a cosmic level, at a youth at a level, but also at an individual level. He knows each one of us. He sees you. He knows you. You are never far from His gaze. We take God out of the picture and there's nothing left. He's the mighty sustainer of the universe who rules supreme. And as we sang this morning, either in this life or the next, every knee will bow before him. The second thing I want you to notice about the way that they pray is how this God speaks. Verse 25, it says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. You see that? Through David by the Holy Spirit. They are quoting they are quoting Psalm two here. Why did the gentles rage and the people plot in vain? They asked this question and then they answered it in verse 28. They did what your power will your power and will They decided beforehand should happen. Do you see this, my friends? Why do these people plot and rage? It's because God predestined it to happen. And when comp- when opposition comes, when suffering comes, they lift their voice to the Sovereign God. They appeal to the Sovereign God, who not only made everything, who is not only in control of everything, but by the way, also planned for everything to happen just as it turned out. No doubt, these people were afraid. No doubt, they were concerned. But boy, they call out on the sovereign God, and it reminds them who this God is. It reminds them that He's in complete control. It reminds them that He knew all this stuff anyway. He planned it to happen. And it gives them boldness. It makes them fearless. They recognize that the cross was a horrible thing, that terrible things happened there, But they also recognized that there was massive good from the cross. Because if it wasn't for that, you and I would not have our sins forgiven. And we would not be reconciled to our Creator. And so despite what they face, despite the persecution, despite the potential suffering, their prayers are totally God-centered. They don't care about themselves. I wonder this morning, do some of us, have we slipped into a mode where we've made us the agenda? Where we we pray for what God can dispense our way, what we can get out of this, or is it God sent it like they did? Yes, Jesus, just help me a little bit out with the smooth running of my life, a little side project, or being radically pierced in your heart. God, your will. Doesn't matter what I face today. Could be disease. Could be sickness. Could be emotional health. Could be financial stress. Doesn't matter what it is. I lift my eyes up to you, Creator God. You are in control. You are sovereign. I back that much more than my circumstances. Boldness. Courage. From a sovereign God people in need. A true Christ follower serves God consistently, even and especially in suffering. Tim Keller says, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Secondly, I want us to see that a true follower from this passage, a true follower of Christ is someone who knows God intentionally. There is a massive difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And at the heart, at the center of that difference is the reality, is the truth that Jesus died on the cross for you and I. It is a personal thing, my friends. It is deeply personal. There is a personal connection. Most of us have a strong sense of, we come to Jesus in awe and wonder and, and with reverence and appeal to the glory of Jesus. Of course we do that. But I want to tell you that this thing is a personal friendship. John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And just think about your earthly friendships. What do friends do? We, we draw near to each other, Right? We carry each other. We listen to each other. We walk side by side with each other. If Jesus is after a friendship with you, I want to ask you, why are you not befriending him more deeply? What's holding you back this morning? Because as we see, here, if we open our lives to Jesus as our friend, we let him love us as sinners, as failures. He is the most accessible, most open, most peaceful, most accommodating friend you will ever have. He is gentle, although he is powerful. His, his weakness, his meekness, is matched by his strength. Matthew 11:29. Jesus says, "I am gently, I am gentle and lowly in heart," and he is accessible to us. You don't have to go through some security check. Or perhaps, you know, wave your arms or stand in a queue. He is accessible to us. And so in your smallness, He notices you. In your sinfulness, He draws near to you. In your anguish this morning, I want you to know this. He is suffering with you. His his affection for you will never cool down. It will never wane. It will never fade. And so set your gaze upon Him. Love Him. He is a person, deeply personal. He's not some concept. Be personally acquainted to Jesus. Have you lost some of that? Has it become a bit of a transactional, mechanical relationship? Folks, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what Jesus is about. He wants to be your friend this morning. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to open your heart to Him. We don't have to play games. We don't, have to play imp- we don't have to try and impress Him. We have to be real with Him. And I've discovered that if we look to Jesus, when Jesus is my best friend, everything else in my life becomes footnotes. Everything. It will, it will take time. Things will fall into place. Yes, it will take time. But when I go through seasons where I lose sight of that, where I don't look Jesus in the eye, I tell you what happens to me: I become anxious. I become st- fearful. I, I begin to worry a lot. We were recently in a a business negotiation about a transaction that we try to complete, and two different teams, and I'm in the one obviously, and man, it's a it's a it's an emotionally charged room full of of male testosterone. To anyway, we, we, we did the meeting and complete things and I, I, I was on the halfway through the door out and the guy who led the other team came to tap me on the shoulder and he said, man, I, I, I don't know where this is going but I want you, I'd love you to come and help some of the executives on our team because I see calm in you. I want that for my people. And I was reflecting on that. And I was calm. And the reason I was calm is because I was looking in Jesus' eyes. Just as there are many other stories I can tell you when I wasn't. When I, was, when I was a mess inside. And so this morning, if you are a true follower of Christ, come back to this thing, folks. Let's have Jesus as our friend. Let's meet Him every day. Let's pour our hearts to Him. Let's do whatever whatever it would take. He is ready. That's what Jesus wants for us. Isn't that good enough? Because he knows that's the best. That's the only way to live. The rest is you taking chances. But it's an invitation. It's not a rebuke. Thirdly, followers of Christ, through followers of Christ, the people who experience God periodically. We've already seen so far in our journey that, that the apostles and the early church, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter in chapter 4 gives us a brilliant exposition of the gospel where he stands up full of the Holy Spirit and he preaches the gospel to re- the religious leaders of the day. And verse 12, the pivotal verse there, saying that the only way you can be reconciled, the only way, doesn't matter with all their teachings, all the history, all that they've studied, all their knowledge. He looks them in the eye and says, the only way you can be reconciled to your Creator is through Jesus. Isn't it amazing that a man who denied Him a little bit earlier can do that in the face of stiff competition? And so we see the Holy Spirit. We see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. When Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. What did he say about that comforter? He said, the comforter will make him, Jesus, more real to us. Is there anybody in this room this morning who said, I don't want Jesus to be more real to me? We should all long for that, right? And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. If you walk through a city at night and it's It's black dark, you don't see a thing and all of a sudden you take a turn to the left and you see a magnificent building that's been lit up. You are flabbergasted by the building. You hardly notice the spotlight. It is the building that you see. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He puts the spotlight on Jesus so that stuff that's in our head that we know that's real makes it real in our hearts. So that we can see him. So that he's our comforter. So that we're no longer afraid, or guilty, or ashamed. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And of course, we know, as followers of Christ, that that would come and go. There will be times when, 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 we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and there are times that we're not. We're not some kind of weird people walking on emotional high all the time. No, we're realistic. That will happen. But it shows you what's possible. And we have this. We have this nagging tendency, or let me not put it on you. Let me say this about me. I have this nagging tendency to try and live on my own resources. And when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, and you try and do it without the Holy Spirit, my friends, you set yourself up for huge disappointment. Because it cannot happen. We do it without even recognizing And so there cannot be a Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The Father ordains salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation, and the Holy Spirit assures salvation. It applies salvation. A Christian life without the Holy Spirit is only a theory. And so the Spirit comes, like He did with me, and opened my eyes, began to see my own sinfulness, began to see my, my need for a Savior. He takes a permanent residence in us. Right, the sea permit that we all long for. Jesus has got that in our lives. He lives with us from that day on, permanently. He walks with us. He helps us to grow. He helps us to see Jesus. He helps us to, to live our lives in the way that God would want us to live our lives. We have been plugged out of this old life and placed into a new. And the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of that life. Our citizenship is now in heaven where we have an inner friend walking with us. We do not need the Holy Spirit to live a moral life, but we need the Holy Spirit, as we heard last week, to live a supernatural life. I've come to realize, for my life to count, I need the supernatural. A moral life won't cut it. People will see through it very quickly. For me to take the message of Jesus to our city, to speak to colleagues, to speak to our neighbors, to pray for the sick. I need the supernatural. And God wants to give this to us. Why do we want to go alone? He is empowering us so that those things that we think are utterly impossible on our own resources can happen. And so, the Spirit changes us by making Christ wonderful to us. If you're in a season where you feel, man, I'm so dry, Christa. I read my Bible, but it bores me. I find it so difficult to pray for people. Perhaps you need to be freshly filled by the Holy Spirit so that Christ can be wonderful to you again. So that we, you can fix your gaze on Him. The two working side by side. Be so radically Spirit-led that you are radically, spirit, radically Jesus-centered. Let me say that again. Be so radically Spirit-led that you are radically Jesus-centered. Christ and the Spirit walking step by step. Won't you this morning ask, God fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Won't you put yourself at a place where God can do that again? And then number four, true followers or devoted followers of Christ exhibits God like generosity. We see in verse thirty one that they they are bold people, they ask for boldness, and boy, did they get it. They are bold. But we see in verse 32 that they begin to do some crazy stuff, right? They give their possessions away. This little house that I've got on the lake, you can have it, sell it, give it to somebody else. They're beginning to do stuff that you and I would say, well, maybe not. What's the connection? What's the connection between asking for boldness and then going to a place where where they're just ridiculously generous? You see, the problem here for us is we think that stinginess is the result of greed and materialism. And it's true, but only to an extent. The real reason behind stinginess is fearfulness. It's when you are are afraid that God will not be your security and your safety, and you have to look to stuff to satisfy you. But when boldness comes like this, That agenda goes out the window. They may have asked for boldness to proclaim His name. They ended up with boldness to live radically generous lives. Why? Because they know everything comes from God. And it brings peace to their lives. They're not stressing about these things. Who are you you looking to for that security and satisfaction? And man, I'm talking to the converted here. This is a generous church. In many ways, I'm not just talking about money, although that's an important thing. I mean, I think of the, the 50,000 francs or so that we sent to Ukraine recently. That's a lot of money from ordinary people like you and I. I think of people spending so much time here and giving off the resources with things like lift on hang and the coffee. and I mean, there's, there's just so many areas that I can pinpoint of great generosity in this church. You get it. My friend, Piet, I was, I was so blown away by, by what he did for me a, a while back. I am, um, after, after 25 years, I made the radical decision to return to the tennis court, right? Haven't played for 25 years. And Kim was at the back They invited me for a game in Megan. Tennis is actually a sport, you won't believe it, uh, Kim and Piet, but that I could play at one stage of my life and really enjoyed it. And so we started playing and, and then I asked Piet for some advice, I said, Piet, you know, I've got to buy a tennis record, Uh, tennis tennis racket what is this just where I go Uh, he knows the stuff and he took me to the boot of his car and he, he gave me a racket now this is Switzerland people things are expensive I know what a tennis racket costs, especially a decent one and I'm sure the the Wallace's household could have used that but he opened his heart generosity why Because he's not so fearful that God will not bless him and look after him and secure him and give him satisfaction. You may say, Christo, come on, it's just a tennis racket. No, no, no. There's a heart behind that tennis racket. Generosity. Go the extra mile. I was a brand new Christian and I sat with one of the elders in our church one day and he he was overseeing the church finances. Very wise old guy. And I'm... Kind of be a new guy on the block? And I come to him and I ask him, you know, how do I give? Just give me the formula. Just give me the number. And he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, I'm not going to give you a number, but I'll tell you this. Practice what I'm telling you and you will never look back. He says, you always give so much that you will never lose your dependence on God. I have banked that. I've lived by that. At time it stretches us. But hey, if God has given me His son to die on the cross, am I gonna get all fanatical about a few pennies? A true follower of Christ lives an extravagantly generous life. I want you to look at your life again this morning and and to ask you yourself that. And perhaps just We've got a few minutes let me give you just this is a sermon on its own but I'll just give you a few quick reasons why to give the first is that we give because our heart has been helped been melted by God's grace towards us Jesus left heaven and by the time he died people were playing lotto for his clothes he had nothing he died a poor man he gave everything away and my friends at some point that reality will melt your heart I don't care how long it takes. That will break your heart. And when you live from that space, Jesus, you gave up everything. Then the little bit that you asked me to steal or give away is nothing, right? And so let your your finances become a riverbed through which to flow. Not just all about you. Give us an overflow of your worship. Folks, can I just remind you that everything that we see and everything that we have belongs to God. And so when we worship Him, the most obvious thing is for us just to steward that little bit that He's giving us. It already belongs to Him. It comes from Him. Give because it's an aspect of vital cross-following. following. It It is out of obedience. At some point, you have to believe that truth. That God wants you to be generous and that you respond. Give because God has given you much more than you need to live from. Some of us make the, the critical mistake that we think that everything that God's giving us is ours. No, no. Part of it is there for bread. You need to live as well. Don't get me wrong. But most of it is for seed. You want to sow. You want to see it multiply. And then perhaps from a church perspective, the most important thing is give because your money can and will save lives. You better believe it. You may think, the few francs that I put in the basket every month, let me tell you that that money will find its way somewhere to encourage a church, somewhere for the church to be planted. I'm just so encouraged by our friends from Stellenbosch who talks about church planting. That costs money, you can ask them. That costs time and effort. And somehow that money will flow to the right place. And somehow somebody would like me to stand up and hear the gospel and respond. And so be super generous, more so even than we have been. It's sobering to think that the way that we steer our finances can affect eternal destinies. Let me land. We, uh, we saw that a, cru- a, a true follower of Christ is someone who, Thanks, Nick, for that last slide. Is someone who serves God consistently, especially in suffering. Somebody who knows God intimately, that this is a friendship to be cultivated. Somebody who experiences God periodically. And somebody who is radically super generous out of the overflow of everything that comes our way. So my, my simple challenge to us as followers of Christ this morning is just to look at your life through those four grids. Maybe you've started serving God for your own agenda. This morning is a wonderful opportunity to open your heart and come clean before God. Maybe it is maybe you, you have you have lost this friendship that you once held. It's happened to me, my friends, where I've drifted, where I've gone cold, where I've gone hard hearted. And the most beautiful thing this morning is that Jesus wants that intimacy with you as much as the first day he invited you into his heart. So come back, be his friend. Maybe you have you have you have neglected the just the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. This morning, come back, be filled again. And I don't think. I think I even have to say that maybe you're not as generous as you can because I know you're a generous people. But if there are other areas in your life that you can open your life to the gospel by giving it all away, why not do that? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for, uh, in this particular case, for Luke who captured such wisdom in the book of Acts for us. And as a church, we say thank you this morning for the journey that we've been on for the last few weeks. And thank you that you are so gracious towards us. Thank you for powerfully intervening with our lives. And God, this morning, we want to do that again. We want to open our lives up to you afresh. And uh, whether it's us becoming selfish and just want our own way. And God, I say Teach us to pray like John and Peter and the followers here. Sovereign God is in complete control. And we find rest and peace in that control. God, I pray for people in in this room this morning or perhaps online who has tried to wrestle that control away. People who have tried to make life work on their own terms. If that's you, won't you just pray a simple prayer under your breath and say, God, I'm so sorry for that. And I'll come back to you this morning because I want to serve you consistently. I want to eradicate this inconsistency from my life. And especially this morning if you're facing a hardship, I know there are people in our community who face substantial hardship this morning. I'm not making light of that. But God wants you to look beyond that because He knows that's the best way for you to live. Perhaps some of us have just run out of steam and we've lost our friendship with Jesus this morning invite Jesus freshly into your heart Jesus we want to be your friend we want that closeness we want that intimacy if we've disappointed you because we've walked out of that and away from that God call us back this morning I pray Jesus you kind you gentle Why would we look elsewhere for what only you can give us? Call us back, we pray, Lord. Woo us. Let us see you with fresh eyes this morning. Perhaps you haven't experienced the fullness, the the filling of the Holy Spirit of late, and you've gone for a moral life as opposed to a supernatural life. This morning, God wants to dispense the Holy Spirit to you fresh. He wants to pour it out on you. He wants to fill you like He filled Peter and John and these early church followers. That's what God wants to do with us, folks. We need to open our hearts. We need to desire that. Won't you do that this morning? Won't you do that, I pray? Oh, God, we're so grateful. Thank you for everything that you're doing in us and through us. We pray for our friends who who we were bold enough to plant a church in, in a, a, a little village called Uggary. God, won't you work through them this morning? Won't you work through that church? Won't you use that vehicle for many people in that valley to come to know you? God, I know when I live there, so I know the obstacles. I know the opposition. Wealth, arrogance, pride, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, self-reliance. God, we place all those things before you because you are the God of the supernatural and we ask you, God, break through into the lives of people in Agri. Call them to you. Make them your friends, we pray. Perhaps this morning you, you dialed in or you just came by invitation and you have never got to the place where any of the gospel makes any sense to you. This morning, I want to... I want to give you the chance, because that's what it is. It's an opportunity for you to come to Jesus as you are. Not morally superior. Not having to prove yourself. Not coming with the right credentials. You come as a sinner, as a, as a person whose life has faltered. And you come to Him and you say, Jesus, won't you forgive me? But more than forgiveness, won't you bring me into your kingdom? This day, 26th of June. 2022 is the day that I want to make that transition. I'm coming to you, God. I trust you. I know the gospel is true. From this day, I never want to look back. Thank you for plucking me from this kingdom that we worship so easily and so gladly into the kingdom of heaven. If that's you, would not you just say something of those words to him? And His graciousness is ready to be poured out all over your life. In Jesus' name we pray.